There is one UK label that has been absolutely fundamental in spreading UK jazz and especially London jazz and that's Brownswood Recordings launched by Giles Peterson in around 2006. So today we have two people who are integral to the label. We've got managing director Emily Moxon and product manager Ruby Savage to talk about Brownswood, their events, their releases, the UK jazz scene, where it's all going what it takes to run a label, how to get noticed by Brownswood, and all the questions in between. Supreme Standards. All right, welcome to the Supreme Standards podcast. Uh, Emily and Ruby, what's good? Hi. 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 Um, so Brownswood has just been more than a label now for so long. For me, you guys have been spearheading a bit of a movement based here in the UK, but internationally minded. So it's really cool just to kind of celebrate your history a little bit but also just kind of like look forward at what you're doing and the momentum of where we are right now and and kind of go a little bit deeper than um some of the chats that have already been happening for the last few years about uk jazz um so let me just um sort of firstly ask you guys how brownswood started how you got involved for both of you because it's been around like 12 13 years now right yeah it's been 12 years so um yeah i've not had that many jobs in the music industry actually so um i um my first job in the music industry was working um in a um, promotions company that mailed out jungle records basically so um yeah i kind of came through the drum and bass scene originally so i mean that was over 20 years ago now but was that your first love that kind of music yeah that well yeah no i, I mean i guess it was my love at that moment which i guess was like late 90s uh when i left college um so yeah i mean it's it's like it's kind of funny the the full circle of it because like you know i was a fan of giles when i was at college like that was probably my introduction to um to drum and bass was kind of um through like ronnie size represent um etc so um i was doing that job so i originally met um giles then uh because i was um sending him jungle records and i originally met um simon goff who's the other partner in brownswood then because he managed ronnie size so it's funny like drum and bass is like very it feels very much in our like dna as a company somehow uh-huh. because it's kind of the thing that connects us all so you got to know giles through sending him jungle records yeah originally yeah we used to, i used to and um, this look, when i started working in the music industry like i can't even tell you there wasn't even the internet wasn't really a thing so promoting music was about um the record companies used to press vinyl and our job was to get the vinyl to djs so i remember like storming into his show one night on at radio one with like a new doc scott record um yeah <laughs> that, that was up? that was the kind of pr we used to do it was okay. very very gorilla and uh, and analog there was like one computer in the corner of the office that if you needed to like check a website you had to like go on that one and do the like dial up thing yeah so yeah yeah, anyway that was my background I don't know how I went so deep there straight away into my background this is why I love podcasts we can go deep as we like (laughs) so you would just like turn up to stations like Radio 1 and just be like I'm here to hang yeah 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 no completely and like hang around um like I remember like um 
putting a, a Ed Rush and optical record into John Peel's hand in the reception of Radio One. So yeah, that was literally like how you promoted music then. So um, I did that for about five years. I then went to Hospital Records for um, one year, which was one of my clients at the PR company. And um, and then after that, I went to go and work with Simon Goff. So I was working with Simon Goff for about eight years doing management, um, working with people in dance music. And um, he had known Giles for a long time, as had I. And he uh, originally approached Giles, um, I think really... Uh, to manage him I guess and Giles was like oh I don't need a manager but I really want to start a record label and that was it was like my dream had just like fallen in my lap because I'd like always kind of thought oh if I do this you know I might end up working at Talking Loud and it was like when I had that opportunity I was literally like an absolute rottweiler to it and I was like I'm going to make this happen so Talking Loud is Giles's previous Talking Loud was Giles's previous record which uh, which was kind of I guess it kind of wound up by then yeah so um Giles uh, found Ben Westbeach who was the first artist that um, that we worked with he also um, had come across Heritage Orchestra who were at that point doing a night in cargo kind of playing orchestral versions of like black exploitation soundtracks I guess um, and we made a record with them uh, we worked with Soil and Pimp Sessions from Japan so um, yeah I think straight away I was like just find the artists and everything else will happen and it was um it was a a bit of a uh, a mission to make it happen but I just I so felt like it was my calling and I it's it's also kind of it's really it's really hard to imagine just like having a dream like that that you will one day do that job and then just one day it just suddenly you get the opportunity to do it and it was yeah it was kind of I mean I don't know if Giles kind of I don't think he knew like how much my dream that was you know I think I was just someone that he'd kind of come across uh, and he'd obviously had a long uh, working relationship with Simon through Ronnie Size. so yeah it was just really mad I would love to say like yeah I had this dream and I just made it happen but (laughs) weirdly it's sort of just the universe just sort of sent it to me but I think at that at that moment I was just like I cannot let this opportunity slip past me wicked and like do you know what I think when you put your intentions out there like it can be kind of put down to this kind of like very bohemian outlook of cosmic ordering whatever but if you do put the intentions out there of this is my goal and kind of be aware of it I think that that will always sort of help things along to a certain degree um so Ruby how did you kind of get into Brownswood what was your yeah so a different route um it's funny like I'm product manager then out um and he used to manage uh, the, did you manage the label? Yeah, so you and, so started off as a label manager. Yeah. So basically, I came in, I think, almost three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, complete chance. I used I already worked in music for um, a couple of underground labels that Giles was a fan of. So I'd been in doing what Emily used to do, bringing in test pressings and white labels of the records I was putting out in these um, yeah, very sort of underground indie labels. Um, and I, I came through one time on a little job to the Brownswood Road office and he's like, what are you up to? I was like, actually, I'm kind of looking for a job. <laughs> he's like, why don't you come and have a chat? And I was like, cool. So, uh, and then he's like, yeah. What did you feel like when he said that? Were you just like shell-shocked? Well, yeah. Oh God, I might be getting offered a job. Yeah, that's kind of the, reason. well, it's what you just said. It's, yeah. it's that universe thing again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's just, I mean, yeah, I guess um, I, I definitely 
believe what you say you put things out there and then it comes back to you um so yeah but I had no idea what I was w- walking into um had a chat with Simon and Emily um and yeah next thing I was putting together Shabaka's Shabaka and the Ancestors wow uh, what a heavy release <laughs> yeah, and then it was off. yeah while we were listening to Yusuf Kamal so Man. it was like yeah from there on it's just been take off but I mean it's it's funny how like I ended up now do product management which is uh, very much about the packaging and the image of the artist and uh, sort of putting together like photo shoots and video shoots so it's a very visual side mm. and that's funny because I started sort of my my BA is in um, production design from the film academy which is very much sets very visual and then I did a master's in photography and urban culture which is again really looking through a lens um, as an outsider like an image of something Um, I wonder all the releases look so good like (laughs) the imagery around it like you get this full kind of like you get you get this world with each release that you can kind of like see you can see it and feel it and get a sense of the aura around it well maybe that's down to like that's what I learned to do is create worlds in in the film academy for like film sets and stuff like that so yeah it's for me it's like it's always been a swing between a massive love for music but for a long time I thought that wasn't really something I could like have a career in I don't know why maybe it's just the old school mentality of like I'm a, I'm a woman I don't know oh, where my place would be imposter stuff. syndrome right yeah um and also massive love for visual arts and photography and film um and yeah this is kind of come together perfectly working as a product manager for a record label because you get to yeah and I feel like that's a really important and interesting element uh of running a label at least from my perspective looking inwards there's about 10 of you on the team right at Brownswood um and I think there are so Mm. many or is there more correct no less way less (laughs) less? (laughs) yeah there's like that's funny there's just like a three four man woman man and woman core and then there's uh two to three like people that come in and out on like uh, okay yeah two three day a week basis Fair. it's a tiny team do you know Emily. what i think i read an interview with simon on the way here and i think i must have read up like a rounded up figure of him referring to all the future bubblers and like well well of a wider team yeah mm. no i will double check my fact checking mm. um so yeah so there, there's a there's a handful of you but i guess that kind of adds further to my point of the in importance of of visuals and and what goes into making a record label a success because you've got Giles doing the A&R which obviously as a as a tastemaker with a lot of significance um, to his career like that's always going to help but there's so much more to making a label successful so for someone that doesn't know much about record labels like what are the main components to keeping it above the ground Hmm. well, it's funny, like, the, the, we started in um, in 2006, Brownswood sort of started to form, and it's, like, it's quite interesting if you look at a lot of the labels that were formed then. I think they've all, um, they all ha- share a very strong vision musically. Um, it, 2006 was, like, a time when the music industry was in, like, terrible decline, and, like, you kind of literally had to be insane to be starting a record label, and I think um, labels like um, Soundway, um, 
Analog Africa was formed around the same time as us. Like a, a lot of our, a, a lot of labels that you sort of consider your peers were kind of formed yeah. at, at like similar Gondwana times. Yes, yes, as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, really, that you know, the music is the most important thing about about having a label. I think, um, I guess, what we really. Um, try to do it's kind of quite hard to <laughs> to put into words I suppose but it's about really having a deep understanding of culture uh, and the uh, you know we're really interested not just in like good music obviously that's the most important thing but it's also kind of about the culture that surrounds that music and that artist and it's about we're interested in artists that kind of have something to say about um, about their culture and I suppose the culture of Brownswood is you know it does have a very London identity but I think part of um, having a London identity is is London as the kind of melting pot and a place where um, different cultures meet um, and I guess like really for me that is the kind of thread that holds these diverse um, projects together yeah agreed <laughs> yeah 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 and I think with some of your initial releases like uh you had a Japanese release really early on mm. and and you've always yeah kind of had a like like kind of outer national did that word come around from yeah. you guys like it yeah. feels like from London looking outwards like reflecting that kind of melting pot sort of ethos of what you're talking about and it's like right so who can we connect here with who can we reach a hand out to and how can we like make a an even wider scene sort yeah. of happen um so okay so I guess there's yeah the visual cultural element of it having artists that represent more even more than than just the the tracks but actually represent a certain ethos or a way of thinking so mm. that feels like a really significant element to have for a label um mm. to be able to say more than than just what's on paper in a way um but that's also i guess kind of like quite a lucky lucky position to be in as well to actually have the platform to do that what's some of the more nitty-gritty sides of of running the label that maybe fans don't always get to to see or or realize the importance of when they buy a record as to how it actually landed in their collection mm -hmm. what do you think Ruby? Yes. yeah i mean yeah it's like i mean margins and and budgets are always and excel sheets you know those kind of things are always very tight um i think you know it's a debate that me and ruby have a lot we were having it this morning like how far do you go to like achieve like perfection in sound you know um we were talking about how when you do mastering like you tend to like listen to stuff on the most amazing system and we were saying like oh um you know 90 eight percent of people who consume this music are probably going to be listening on a phone or or a laptop like maybe hmm. like it's there you should be testing it so um yeah I think the kind of commerce and art tension is is something that's uh that's very constant I think for me and as someone um who you know I'm probably um 
I guess a music industry veteran now I have been doing it for <laughs> quite a long time but um, yeah I think for me um, one thing that's really um, important is having integrity in business and just being as as clear with people and as direct with people and being honest and I think uh, a lot of um, a lot of music companies are very small and they spring up and there's a bit of a brain drain where people reach a certain age and think oh you know it's too hard to earn money or it's too hard to make this work and a lot of people um you know end up working in like tech or something like that or or go to fashion or whatever um but yeah I think just being really straightforward in business is something that's so important and it it means that um you know people people will work with you again yeah, you yeah. know because they know from the first time i mean what else nitty gritty stuff there's so much stuff that we do that is so hard to much describe. i think i think as a lab, having done the job as a label manager and still even as a product manager um running a label essential is that you are absolutely versatile oh. i mean in a day we'll go anywhere from like just doing two hours of straight emailing dealing with I know distributors to artists to managers, tour managers, promoters, um, to uh, being on the phone to source um, some you know reptiles for a photo <laughs> shoot. <laughs> to you know normal everyday stuff. Yeah. Really. Um, Who were the reptiles for? Oh, you'll see soon. Oh, <laughs> Actually, they weren't reptiles. I didn't want to like reveal, <laughs> but um, you will see soon. Um, right. It was basically stuffed animals, but um, yeah, very soon to <laughs> be seen. But are we, are we meant the... to believe that they are real? No. Oh, okay, that's no. cool. Okay, no, not at all. Sweet. Straight, no, like, that would exactly be what Emily was saying about being direct and clear. Right. Like, no <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stuffed reptiles. Yeah. So it's like really versatile, and then also on a budget. I mean, I think we all know that it's just really hard selling a record or of actually, course. yeah, yeah. Um, in, in these days. So you're doing everything like, you know, trying to really keep things within sort of margins. And yeah. And it's funny, like, because you're, you know, what I said about trying to really like understand the culture around people. It's like, you know, we just end up learning about mad shit, don't we? Yeah, it's like totally. I know all about like Santeria, the Cuban religion. Yeah. You know, I know a lot about like the Luo tribe of Kenya because of a Weenie Sagoma band, you know, and you just end up, yeah. yeah. I mean, even like, um, you know when we first kind of came in contact with the UK jazz people about really like learning about Tomorrow's Warriors yeah. and what an incredible organisa- organisation that was and just thinking like you can't really do this project without honouring that organisation right. as yeah. well so yeah I, I mean, think that's like the beauty of it is that you literally you're not just working with a new artist or you know a young artist that's working on their first album you're also involving like people who were do yeah who brought them to where they are um, and also um, sort of visual arts I do anyway, like photographers, illustrators, designers, or sort of people that are starting their career as well, because that's where you're kind of looking at in the pool of what you can afford. And also that's sometimes some of the freshest talent and you give them a platform alongside um, the musical artists. You kind of can give the visual artists as well. Like and something that looks really significant for um, kind of like further outreach and especially what I think Browns would really are good at are 
getting involved with events and like actually presenting the music to people and you don't always see labels so involved in the event side I think we it. just love events mm. <laughs> we love going to our events you do I'm, I'm, yeah there are no complaints it's, you guys are fantastic at um, creating a live experience as mm. well as something that can be held and enjoyed in the privacy of your own home like how much of that is well how much of it started off as survival and outreach and expanding Brownswood and how much of it is for the, the creative sort of side of just purely loving doing events mm. uh, I mean I think in uh, in those early days of Brownswood it was just um yeah it probably was um it did start with being about how you can kind of monetize the platform you have you know i think as i said recordings was was not a very um stable or profitable business so it was it was about um uh it was about survival i guess in the early days i think you know when we do um yeah when we do like our own events now i think uh we just want people to kind of come away having mm. had a really good experience and so um i think now it's kind of yeah it's kind of harder to do something yeah. in a very like profitable way i think there's um people that are professional promoters who are probably better at um at doing that than we are mm. i think also for us like those are moments that you kind of see who your audience is and who's into the records and it's also drawing people in um, I think it's also a great way to like present the products that we have, like the the records. It is good to do shows. That is often where you sell a lot of you know merch. And am I right in saying that's kind of like the main income for a lot of artists now? It's actually in live tickets and physical sales as well. Mm. Given how things have changed since like like twelve, thirteen years ago, is that is that the best way for artists? Do you think to survive at the moment with live and merch? No, I, I think it's about I think it's about having multiple mm. income streams and kind of understanding them all and and not missing any. I think is um, is more important. You know, a, a physical, um, yeah, physical records is like physical records is really about like a small pool of kind of super fans and and um, and monetizing that. I suppose so. Um, you know, if you if you uh, press a thousand records, you, I'm talking about an artist self-releasing now. Um, yeah, it, it is. Um, I guess it is uh, quicker and easier to make profit doing that than it is on like Spotify. Um, but uh, you're not reaching as many people, so I think you really have to do all of it. Mm. If that, I mean, if that's right for you, you know, yeah. some some artists really, you know, really suit the kind of um, streaming uh, model better. I guess, um, you know, if you were doing like vinyl only without streaming, it would probably be very hard to turn that into a sustainable mm. business. Not all artists are suited to live. You know, some artists, you know, that they they get bigger live fees, but they immediately want to make their show bigger. So that may not end up being something that's like profitable. So. I think there's just different pathways for different people but mm. I think you know if someone is getting into uh, the music industry or is an artist who's building their career it's about I guess really understanding the the dynamics and opportunities in uh, in all the different income streams because um, music is it's it's quite 
complicated <laughs> there's there, there's a whole range of income streams it's not just like selling a record um uh, you know even within selling a record there's kind of multiple income streams and um yeah i mean it's a good time there's a lot of information available for people mm. yeah. i do think like touring does you do see streaming boost when somebody's on tour and also sales on like our band camp uh people do come back to that so like the touring does help sort of grow an audience and uh boost sales across the various ways that you can sell your records it must be so like satisfying seeing the little line graphs of like <laughs> when the sales like line up with the tours it's like yes this music is like mm, really reaching. getting out there further from yeah with the tour and stuff like that totally yeah i mean there's loads of things you look at yeah. you look at like social media numbers and um yeah i mean you're completely right yeah. and then but then also like having a record that's big on streaming can also like sell you tickets and yeah. and affect the kind of fees you can get so yeah i just think you you need to like look at the whole thing very holistically right. um, Absolutely, as yeah. a as a business and especially if you're kind of yeah just looking at actually building a business around you as opposed to kind of short like I was talking to someone about dance music labels the other day and they were like oh a lot of dance music labels are just very focused on buzzing up a record and then kind of selling it to a major and that's kind of the business model for that and people aren't like holding on to their rights and kind of building a business from them in the same way so I mean that was like a super interesting um, point I guess. Supreme Standards have just announced their next live show. On April 25th, we're going to be at the legendary Corsica Studios with two bands who are completely throwing out the notion of genre. Two great jazz bands called Project Karnak and Pi JN. Tickets are on sale now, so we'll see you there. Brownswood seem to have um, a sense of longevity and artist development in, in the artists that you guys signed. So kind of bringing Giles Peterson back into the conversation in terms of that A&R side, like mm. how, how do you decide who to sign? Is it, yeah, how much of it is between conversations with Giles? How much of it do you bring in? Like what, what's the kind of insight and, and foresight that you guys see when you think there's an exciting artist? You know, it, mm. it, it's probably all, a conversation to be had of there's an exciting artist but are they a Brownswood artist like how do you decide who to sign and who to work with uh yeah it's like a combination of those two things I mean we talk about um we do talk about a lot of people um uh that you know we don't pursue uh I think increasingly um you know the 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 music industry has changed so much in the last 12 years you know when we started it wasn't easy for an artist to just put a record out um themselves so you'd be signing people from a lot earlier stage in their development whereas now it's like you wouldn't really sign someone who hadn't put a record out themselves because you'd Mm. think like why you know why wouldn't they be doing that to kind of build themselves so i think um a really um, it sounds weird saying this is a record company but a really positive thing about the industry now is there's a lot more choice for artists and a lot more routes to market and um, record labels have had to really up their game I guess and um, and be a lot kind of clearer about what they what they can offer um, to artists. Um, yeah there's so. a big trend about being an independent artist I'd say like five six years ago or so I mean obviously I'm looking from a 
a fan's outside perspective, but I feel like it was really fashionable to be an independent artist mm. for a while. And it's kind of like revolt against the industry sort of mm. thing. And now it's sort of come back around where labels, like you say, have had to think about what they can offer and how they can create something and add value to mm. what they're doing to, with artists as a whole. So yeah. I guess that kind of ethos is what you guys have been thinking about all along. Yeah, and I think we've, you know, we, you know we've also had to do um, kind of self-searching. Like last year we were like, oh, you know, is there a kind of way that we could just be offering people like our platform, but not the kind of full, um, the full kind of Brownswood <laughs> treatment. treatment. And then you're like, actually, it's like you can't, you know, you can't sort of like give someone like 50% of your love. It's like, you know, yeah. we, we, mm. we do what we do and, and we think we have um, a, a strong offering that does add value um, to artists' careers. Um so um but but also it's not for everybody and and you have to um respect that so i think a lot a lot more um conversations now don't end up with um with signing um so that's something that that's quite changed but yeah just back to your original question i think um you know we just talk about it we just we just talk about the record and the artist and where we think they're going and and how they fit and Mm. and whether um yeah, I think I just wouldn't want to work with someone unless I felt I could really add value to to what they were doing. And um, yeah, I think Giles sometimes um, would, you know, he's um, someone who's come through radio. So sometimes he is, um, he'll just love a record, but I just think, oh, you know, there's just not really like, there's not really like that story to tell um, with that artist. Um, and I think I find those projects kind of harder to mm. get excited mm. about he is quite an excitable person right say, he's like, really that's like a massive element like yeah, Charles's yeah. excitement but then it's like <laughs> yeah what Emily's saying like does it work in the sort of wider spectrum of right. putting an album out yeah but yeah so far it's kind of mm. I mean yeah he's like he's just got this amazing hunger to hear new music mm. and it's just like amazing that that that's what he's done for yeah god knows how many years decades yeah decades. He, he just wakes up and just wants to hear something new every <laughs> yeah. day and you know always the conversations will start with um have you heard this what have you heard got anything to play me um that's always where the conversations start and then you'll you'll have meetings uh with giles and he, he will end up just going oh oh babe babe and like play you some you know record he's just bought or something will remind him of some like record that he's not listened to for ages so yeah meetings sort of yeah just the begin middle and end with with music and sometimes you just I just think oh, I've got to go and do some work now you just like chill <laughs> out in your basement and like listen to listen to music but it's, I mean it's yeah. fun it's really fun for artists because I think what you know one of um uh you know all I think you know all the stuff um that you you know my feelings about music as part of a wider culture you know these are things that I've like very much learned um from talking to Giles over the years is the way he's able to kind of contextualize music in a wider culture but also just find these like mad connections between different things I mean joining the dots being his kind of thing I suppose it yeah so it, it it's fun doing like his kind of A&R with an artist is just like playing them like mad stuff out of his collection he, he would never say to um swindle or skinny palembe like can you change that snare sound mm-hmm. in your record he'd just find some 
something, some some piece of music that was going to kind of blow their minds. Yeah. Oh, to sort of inspire them and mm. and give them an, another creative direction to think yeah, about. Yeah, but yeah, I do yeah. think, like, I mean, you know this, obviously, Emily, but, like, Giles gets really enthusiastic, but I think he also just has a very, like, natural sense of seeing it, again, in the wider culture. Mm-hmm. Like, he will always consider, like, all the other elements. It's not just like, oh, does it, is it just, like, a, a great tune? It's like he'll also check the artist in a, on the level of, like, are they relevant in in other ways than just their music? And, uh, you know, is there a longevity going on there? Will they be around in, like, five years, ten years? Right. Um, I think he naturally kind of he has just got inst- really good instinct for that um, placing it. Mm. Can yeah. you remember a time where he's come to you as an artist that you've not heard at all and played it to you and said, "Right, we need to sign this person or talk about this person." Like, I'm thinking maybe he's got so many connections with the music scene in Havana and his obsession with Cuban music mm. that has obviously fed into Brownswood with these amazing compilations. Mm. Maybe on his trips, has he come back and like played you Dayami Aracena and said, "Right, here's someone that we need to explore" or, or something like that. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think he that that he originally um, met Daime at a party uh, in Havana. Um, he was there with the, the the people from Havana Club Rum, and and she was like fifteen, and she was singing in the kitchen. Wow! <laughs> yeah, and he just like overheard her. Yeah, and uh, and she was amazing. But um, the Cuban records that we work on are partnerships with Havana club rum and so you can't um work with people that are under 21 in those projects and so yeah so uh yeah so it was a while and you know also not you know I I think when you um find someone with amazing talent who's very young I I remember um Mahalia who's like 21 now I think we um were talking to her when she was like 14 or 13 about doing her first EP and you know actually yeah when sometimes when you come across those amazing talents who are so young it's like actually it's just better (laughs) to just wait a minute yeah maybe like not what you need to be doing when you're when you're 14 is putting records on it's like you know go to school yeah live your life Mm -hmm. and uh you'll have more to say that makes sense so tell me a little bit more about the Havana like uh compilations that you guys have been doing and uh, because I think that's one of the really strong arms of Brownswood is like going back to what you're talking about this outer national kind of reach of um exploring different scenes and Havana is a big part of that for Brownswood Mm. I feel like how do you how do you sort of develop relationships with those artists and and what's it like working on those compilations I mean I I basically um, worked on the compilation I think that you're talking about the last one the three piece box set nice Um, and uh, so I just started working at the company maybe I was a year in so I had like got to delve into like sort of 10 years of recordings and um, and hearing stories from like Emily and Giles how they got to these amazing musicians and I think again it was Giles going to Cuba and just getting in getting in there and listening and and asking people and and hearing talent randomly at parties and getting them in the studio and obviously Havana Cultura the platform offered like the sort of yeah means to do that to have a studio to get everybody in there Um, and what you see is like also not just finding the talent there but like connecting it back to the UK which brings that out to national level um, sort of music from that um, yeah 
Wicked. And then I guess talking about these scenes as well, the big one that everyone's been talking about is We Out Here over the last like year or so. And what an impact that has had in terms of representing the UK scene. And just London, actually, it's just London artists, isn't it, on, on mm, We Out yeah. Here? Yeah. Um, kind of reflecting on it, like it's pretty much exactly a year ago that mm, the record yeah. came out. Is it? Did you ever conceive how much impact that record was going to make around the world in terms of the significance it would have for Kokoroko, let's mm. say, Abusey mm. Junction, which we, has had we, like 20 we, million We had a moment. Yeah, no, the Kokoroko thing is yeah. kind of like, that is kind of mad and, and really like impossible to kind of predict those things. But I mean, I'm like very ambitious for our projects. And I think um, when uh, we put this together it was about seeing something really exciting happening um in london and then but but using the attention that that um that brownswood has around the world to be able to kind of give it a platform and i guess it did always have slightly loftier (laughs) ideas than kind of being a compilation album it's kind of annoying when people call it Mm. a compilation album (laughs) because um yeah it was always meant to um to platform the artists and the scene you know with that um comes um i guess responsibility then that you do it correctly and um yeah it was like hard because obviously um you had to you know it was hard to like include everybody in the scene and not everybody wanted to be included as well um so um yeah but I mean yeah so I think I guess I you know I'm not surprised (laughs) because that's why we did it you know that 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 we felt we could make that impact um how did the idea come around well what was the the first seed of we out here and how long ago was it i can tell you exactly um i was in the jazz cafe it was the worldwide awards after party i think we showcased ezra collective uh oscar jerome poppy ajuda um someone else played that night and me and Giles were watching it and just going oh like Joe's playing with Oscar and then like and then like he's playing in Ezra Collective and like oh it's really interesting how like everybody's um mixing like mixing in these different bands and I think Simon had a uh a chat with Joe that night and he was like oh you know Joe's really interesting how he see how he likes you know sees the scene and and um and how powerful that is so um yeah that was definitely um the seed um we were then um approached by a brand who had some budget to do a big project and we were like oh what about doing this and and we like budget it all made sure like everyone got paid really well we had budget to go in a nice studio and then uh we were quite deep into planning it when the brand who shall remain nameless were like <laughs> oh actually uh, we don't want to do this anymore and we were like oh oh, oh no God. and then we were like and and we say so many times how that was just the best thing I I remember that conversation I was like we don't need a brand let's just not have a brand that's better I'm happy I mean obviously financially it was quite hard to make it happen it became like a it became I guess a a bigger financial risk in the beginning but yeah we were for them for for us because we'd we'd already kind of committed to to just the way that the whole thing was kind of structured so 
yeah so but anyway we were very glad that we didn't um we didn't work with the brand on that because i think it would have um just changed the way that the the project was perceived and always when you work with a brand that there's always like other considerations you know like um, artistic compromise i guess you don't get the final say in the way that you want to present something no because you wouldn't really do i think you wouldn't really work with a brand in that way but yeah there's just there's just other um there's just other agendas to consider as well I mean you know I'm not like anti-working with brands I think it's actually like you know you have to be um pragmatic as an artist and as a label and anyone who's kind of working in in music rights that um that uh that's an important income stream so I'm not like um I'm not against it but yeah it just just good to be selective yeah it just it just it just creates another dynamic i guess in a i think it's also what stage you bring the brand in maybe Mm. like if they're from the beginning there's like it's it's a sets a certain yeah in context for a project whereas if they come in later because we did work with brand later on Mm -hmm. for the for the events which was amazing but Mm. then you kind of have the music sort of the actual real creative artistic part is sort of set and solidified Mm. um and then yeah so am I right in saying that you did the visual side of, of We Out Here, like trying to think up the concepts around like the fox and yeah. the animation? Yeah, I mean, Emily and, and me work really closely on a lot of the projects and uh, I remember really well, Emily's like, I want, I want a fox. It's such a imagery, representative of London. Yeah. And I was like, a fox? Oh, but do you want to like... Yeah. And then it was actually um, really thinking about what a fox means to Londoners like I'm, I grew up in Amsterdam you don't see foxes like it's such a London thing mm-hmm. seeing a fox in the street and, and everybody's seen them in the middle of the night and they're kind of fascinating but right. also very annoying because they like mess up your whole trash and they, you know, they leave <laughs> like a lot of you know mess so it's, or they like kind of yeah they mess with you but so yeah I, I love that sort of metaphor as well it's like they're fascinating they're amazing they're kind of like mischievous but at the same time uh yeah they're just setting the tone in a different way yeah yeah which the is survivors the survivors in the city. In the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know what you mean about the yeah. whole like fox i grew up in the isle of Wight, which isn't exactly amsterdam it's like yeah. foxes weren't a million miles away but i didn't see a fox in real life till i went to university right. in surrey and i was like drunk on a freshers night out and i saw yeah. a fox across the way i went across the road yeah. to go and stroke mm-hmm. it and like it's mental God, it ran away <laughs> yeah I, I thought it was just like stroking a cat yeah um so i learned um but yeah, but yeah, Gaurab, but yeah we found yeah, Gaurab, so. who did the artwork, like he came down to the recording sessions, yeah. didn't he? We had him so on we were, early. Yeah, on. we were talking Actually, to him even at that stage. Yeah, I think I had him in mind for a different project, like maybe a year before. Yeah, and then, and then it didn't really quite work, and it was always there. And we we're like, oh, yeah. this is the perfect project for him to and be I involved in. And I remember we went to, um, yeah. I remember we went to the Soul of a Nation exhibition, didn't we? Yeah. And there was like there was a painting in that that we had um, as a reference. Yeah, so yeah, we go like <laughs> we go quite, you know, when I think when we're researching something, we do. Um, mood yeah, we do a lot deep. of we we do a lot of mood boards and yeah. we do um, a lot of kind of. Um, back and forth with with images um yeah. did you have an alternative for images that didn't come we have through? a kind of well we we asked him to do we originally were like oh we want a fox like in a sort of nature surrounding and then i was like well kind of need something else to go with that so then we we're like okay can we do the nature and the city mm. and then but we always thought to put the one where the fox is in nature on the cover and then actually when we got both of the images the one in the city as well 
you're like, no, that needs to be the cover. It's much, you know, m fits much better. And then we just used, I think we used it for like the events, live events, the one that was supposed to be the yeah, cover. Jungle, so, ah, jungle okay. Fox. The fox jungle was a fox. tiger at one point that was, as yeah. well. Yeah, we've really? got like a version where the fox was a... Uh, was a tiger and yeah I think it was at that point oh sketch sketch uh, yeah sketch sketch. Point. okay yeah yeah, yeah. nice uh. so yeah we out here has been so hugely impactful and I think a lot of um labels and just creatives generally have been inspired by the impact that has had and I've always kind of thought of we out here as a really good time capsule album like it's something that you could bury and in a hundred years it give you a perfect idea of the UK <laughs> jazz scene in, yeah. in 2018 I think Sorry. No, um, no, no, no. Just on the project, I think early on we also really wanted it to be about the scene. So we got Fabrice Bourgel mm. in early to talk about doing a documentary. And so he went off and did that element. And then we got photographer as well, Adam Ajala, to photograph the whole sessions. Um, yeah, Garrett was there from early. So yeah, like the time capsule element. Tej as well. Tej, yeah, we got Tej to write the liner notes. Yes, Tej, yeah. she's such a beautiful writer. Amazing. And I've always said about Tej, Tej's writing as well that she has this skill of being able to take like 10 steps back and look at yeah, something exactly. as if it was as if she's 50 years in the future and be able to mm. look back at it with the widest context mm, and yeah. write about something so beautifully mm. and, and yeah. Yeah, like, she... It, amazing she brought it all Such together with the, with the liner notes mm. and that absolutely like big mm. shout out to her but and that's what was i mean it was such a pleasure working on this project because we literally were able to just get everybody that we already been seeing doing stuff that we loved on this one project and yeah it, it really does become a time capsule like right. that and i think a, a milestone that i kind of recognize as well in the lead up to we out here is the yusef kamal black focus album which just kind of felt like whoa this has landed yeah. now like this scene is being noticed in the furthest reaches of the planet um did that kind of feel like a moment for you guys of as well of arrival for the scene that you're trying to push like looking back on that is that a milestone or a, a chapter start or end for you guys in any way or yeah it was i mean yeah it was i mean i think it came out it came out within like a month of the Shabaka yeah. and the Ancestors record and I think they are kind of like linked in, uh, in uh, they feel linked for, for me, um, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, Yusuf Kamal was just like, it was just like a mad kind of whirlwind and then it was over, you know. Yeah, um, there must have been so and, many but it's kind of, like, of that and Shabaka. Yeah, yeah, no, there have been. I mean, yeah, the, you know, the, 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 the record... Um, has just reached a lot of people um and you know again we you know we're always really ambitious for the projects that we work on but it's kind of quite hard to um it's kind of you couldn't really sit here and like take <laughs> take credit for that because it's just like the music just just um touched people in a way and it was very universal it's like it's um sold well all over the world um but it was like, it was kind of quite hard. To, I remember talking to our distributor and they were like, they didn't really like get it. And it was like, there was no like massive social media numbers. There weren't really, mm. wasn't really a tour at that time. You know, there was no press. They didn't want to do interviews. Um, there was no radio play. It was just a kind of That's nuts, word just of, word of mouth. Yeah, it was of mouth. What we did know was that we, I think we put it up on pre-sale on our band yeah. camp and mm -hmm. it just, Immediately. Sold out straight when we were like, yeah. wait, hold on. Yeah. yeah. Immediately. Yeah. I mean, the record probably would have gone 
top 40 the week it came out if we'd yeah. had like enough stock in the shops but the distributor just had underordered yeah. so so much that it would it was like sold out by like 11 o'clock yeah. in the morning it came out and then it was a struggle for us to to keep, keep up, up with, with the, the demand yeah. you know wow and, and that's yeah. another juggle going back to like running a labels like you know just overheads of of, of pressing vinyl it's cost so much mm-hmm. so you, you don't want to press like loads and then not be able to sell it so you're constantly like balancing can we sell another 2000 can manufacturing bill from the last lot yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. so it's like you can't just be like okay well this record's you know really cool ten, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. Press 10, exactly yeah. It's, it's not like that you have to like kind of yeah but I mean, if we knew, looking back, it's yeah. just been selling so much. Yeah. So I guess mad. with We Out Here and, and Black Focus and Shabaka and so many of the records that come out over the last few years, Browns would have been a big part of this this UK jazz scene. And I kind of wanted to ask you both like where you see it going next uh, in terms of in terms of like the scene and how it's represented, but also the sound itself. Like, have you guys had a, a change or a progression in the sound since, say? 2015 like is it going in a slightly more electronic direction or more um you know or or otherwise like do you notice any differences coming I mean I think what was interesting and what we hopefully kind of reflected on we out here is actually considering like a lot of these people have like grown up together and been taught by the same people um and um play together that actually the sounds are quite diverse um you know Maisha sounds very very different to Theon Cross for example uh, I think what we're seeing now is people um you know when we, when we recorded we out here um it was um I was struck by the kind of lack of experience of actually being in the studio with some of the bands. And I think Coco Rocco was actually um, their first proper studio recording. Uh, I think um, a a scene that has developed very much in the kind of live space um, is it is a different thing to putting music under the kind of microscope of recording and creating amazing sounding records. Um, so yeah so I mean I think for me what I really want (laughs) from the artists is to hear like proper bodies of work now to hear like amazing sounding records and I think that you know they're starting to drop um, now Um, so that's like super exciting and yeah I think um, yeah just like hearing like longer records Mm. really with more moods on that take you on a take you on a journey yeah Ruby do you see any any themes and I want to ask you guys about like EP versus album Mm. as well with that in mind the longer bodies of work Mm. like are there in in a way of advice for any musicians listening is there um a right time for an EP versus an album when you're trying to establish your sound Um, right time as in the right order or well I guess following on from what you just said Emily in terms of like when it's time to show a longer body of work Mm. is it as simple as having the money for an extended time in the studio or is it about you know is there a right time Mm. to put out an ep in terms of getting the right attention back i mean i think it really depends on the artist like where they are personally um i think it's great to get if you have a momentum like we'd be out here to like okay let's get in the studio and, and see if we can record two or three tracks or four to make an ep uh which is happened to <laughs> with a lot of the artists um but yeah really like i think for an album you really need to step back for a bit and just see the bigger picture and like what are you actually trying to say they just go it's it's not just sort of you know 
three or four ideas it's like a whole concept really so I think it just takes a bit more time doing an album and I think an EP is a great way to um, have something out there between you know your momentum and the actual album release and um, you know kind of test your fans see see what they're liking what they're not liking and also um, just still being on being out on the scene but I think for an album, I mean, I'm not an artist, I can't really speak. And I think artists work in very different ways. Uh, some can li- literally go in the studio and just record it down. Well, who was it that said that Femi said after three takes, it's not really jazz anymore? Huh. <laughs> what, Femi from Ezra Collective? Yes. That's, <laughs> That's interesting yeah, because you're going for yeah. what you're trying to recreate yeah. rather than yeah. push something forward. But then That's other so artists might be like, I want to look at, explore a more electronic yeah. way and then maybe get in the studio with producers. So it's really like what you, where you want to evolve your sound to. I mean, I wouldn't advise anyone to just go, I'm going to make an album. I'm going to go and record 10 tracks. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. like you know do an album when you've got an album's worth of stuff to say otherwise you know I think in this day and age it's like albums have to work as albums and I think you know we're kind of a bit quaint I guess (laughs) as a label in that we are really into albums and album artists um in this kind of age of streaming and singles but you know you can't in it you know in the kind of old music industry people would make an album and you'd have your three singles that Mm. that people took to radio and then you know um uh fans would have to fork out for the album to get the music and it was like it it wasn't good for the craft whereas now it's like you know every every track on the album needs to be there for a reason yeah absolutely no filler no filler (laughs) (laughs) you've given so much like good advice i think for people that are interested in labels and for musicians that are listening as well but do you have any advice on um so submitting your music to be checked out if they're interested in being signed to brownswood like how what's a strong submission for you guys um well i would make contact with future bubblers i think because um that is a platform that is there um to listen to new artists i mean i have to be honest like i've never signed someone or really been interested in an artist because i've had an email from them it's like and i think a lot of people in labels probably feel like that it's like um yeah you know i become fans of of Art of uh, artists in the way that everybody else does it's like you, you you hear people you know talking about them you might see them live um you, you you become aware of them in that way so i mean i would as an artist i would really focus on on um making the best music focus on on the creative and and how you are as an artist and then just focus on on actually connecting with people and building a fan base and don't kind of expect to just sign to a label and get them to do all the work for you because it's that's just not how the industry is now um i think it's about getting to you know the base camp yourself and then um you know perhaps working with a label or with a manager or with a label services company to kind of take you to the top of the mountain right yeah i think those early fans are so important as well the ones that you that find you because you're playing in a pub they will stick with you for for the for the longest Mm. way and and usually they don't find you through a label they'll find you through word of mouth or because you were warming up for or you like uh, for another band or 
yeah, kind of those early stage of career can really get you sort of amazing fans and fan base that will stick with you. Yeah. So I guess the advice is do what you do best, focus on the music mm. and when you're holding your craft as well. Yeah. 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 I mean there's lots of people um out there who um who give platforms to new music, I mean yourself included, mm. you know, it's like the, yeah, I mean yeah. I just like listen to radio and like look at people's track listings and um and um think about the, the people whose um, taste you respect around you and it probably you know uh, there's that kind of law where you know when you've heard about something like five times you're suddenly like I, I really need to check that out now <laughs> do yeah. you know what I mean that so, sounds like another podcast actually yeah. how to get your music <laughs> yeah. noticed by, yeah. by broadcasters yeah. and get it played and stuff yeah. um, amazing thank you so much for um, coming on and hanging out on the podcast today oh, it's pleasure. been so interesting uh, before we wrap up we just have to um, celebrate and give a little bit of light to We Out Here Festival, which looks yes. so exciting. Mm. How involved is Brownswood in the We Out Here Festival? Yeah, we're getting pretty involved, mm. definitely. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, we definitely do. Um, we definitely proofed the lineup. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Made sure there was loads of Brownswood on there. Yeah. No. Um, and it's just been announced, hasn't it? Like at yeah. the time of recording, it was like last week. Yeah. And um, is it? It's a lot of picks from Giles. Is he the only one that's kind of programmed, or has it been a, a few people in the Brownswood team as well saying, "Oh, you should get this person on or that person on"? Yeah. yeah no, definitely. I think always there's. Um, you know, we've got Worldwide FM and Brownswood, and always the the kind of concept was be to reflect the whole kind of ecosystem um around it but yeah there's um the um there's uh, a team who are like professional festival organizers anyone who's like watched the fire mm. festival documentary <laughs> should understand <laughs> that you can't like mess with like festival yeah. infrastructure you know and it, it is like organizing a festival is Another something level. that you spend a whole year doing yeah, yeah. um so yeah there's uh um, that's it i see it in the love supreme place. office like yeah. it starts right after the festival's yeah, yeah, finished yeah. you start yeah. for the next year it's, yeah. it's a year-long full-time role for a few people it's it's big work so, yeah. yeah i think for us it's just like you know we want um the the kind of love that we want to put out into the world to to um to be a part of that um possibly like a bit missing from the festival um whatever it's called uh, the, the festivals at large i guess yeah. there's some mm -hmm. like very big festivals out there that um perhaps um don't have that like love feeling in what they're doing yeah. so yeah like i think that's definitely one of the points that we made and what they're really working with us on is that you know brownswood there's like the brownswood house brownswood family like it's very uh, nurturing uh, and warm and friendly yeah uh, and I think and that's part of we, a community exactly it's not just like we're doing a festival it's like okay how do we make people feel welcome and introduce them into new interesting exciting music as well as seeing music that they know and love um, so yeah Wicked. be interesting yeah will yeah, be yeah it's gonna be fun and then what else is going on for Brownswood in 2019 what's what's mm. news or anything that you yeah, can we're reveal just very, it's like funny like looking back because we're always just looking forward all the yeah. time it's like hard sometimes to remember to actually look back but yeah so um we've got new music coming from skinny palembe which we're really excited about he's mastering his album today yeah. he's got, doing so well he's getting a lot of, like bbc love isn't yeah, he yeah like, no he's brilliant yeah. um we've got a new record from um daime arasina yes um, and i'm so glad that you've 
said Diame's name because I've always pronounced her as Diame. And uh, now, right, and yes, now okay, I know yeah. the Joy of Podcasts <laughs> yeah. is not reading the uh, name yeah. and remembering <laughs> yeah. it the wrong way. I think she has a lot of different um, pronunciations. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we've got um, a Melbourne project, which mm-hmm. we're really excited nice. about, just exploring the scene that is there. So that'll be out in the summer. I will say limited amount, because obviously it's not announced yet at all. I feel like Giles accidentally let it slip on social a while ago and then deleted it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I went that would be very Giles. And he was like, what, what do you mean? Um, no, I, I, tweet, I, retweet, I tweeted about it after reading it. And so while I was like, what are you doing? That secret, you need to delete that. I was like, oh. <laughs> so that's so. I I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. About Honestly, what I annou- that announcement <laughs> culture has got like a bit ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If, you, if right you're listening to this, if you're listening to this podcast and you find out that we've got a Melbourne project coming up in the summer, I'm very happy that yeah. you know about that. Get yeah. the word out. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. Wicked. Yeah. I can't wait. EP coming as well. Yeah. Mate, yes. Very excited. That's going to be strong. New music from Zara McFarlane yeah. with Dennis Pavel uh, as well. Yeah. Serious stuff. Yeah. That's wicked. Uh, we're just big ups for everything that you guys do. Um, oh. You're a really loved label and I think you'll do such an incredible job and it's so clear that you do it with love as well, the whole team. So, yeah, big ups Thank to you, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Supreme Standards.